My name is Brittany, and I want to welcome you to the Purpose Planner Podcast. I believe that life lessons, especially traumatic ones, heavily influence how we behave in life. Your ability to see, feel, and give love are deeply connected to these experiences. I believe once you identify your wounds, you can journey into the birthplace of the self-discovery your heart's always desired. Join me for a Purpose Planner conversation now. So I'm so excited about today's topic, um, how childhood trauma affects your love life. And I felt it was appropriate to bring in the experts. So I have Asia Burks here with me um, of Transformative Mind Counseling. Hey, girl. Hey, how you doing? I am awesome. Um, If you could just tell us briefly, like, why did you specialize uh, specifically in trauma? So, um, first off, I am so excited to be here because this is really my passion area. And um, when I started, um, when I originally thought about trauma, I was really thinking about my own experience of uh, trauma. And I was just like, well, in my childhood, other than my parents divorcing, I didn't really experience a lot of trauma. Um, But I lived in a community that experienced lots of trauma within within my neighborhood, within my family, within friends. And um, when I was in school after graduating and I moved to Indiana and I worked with kids who were right in the midst of all of the traumas that they were experiencing, I my passion just kind of really grew and spurred from there. And um, while I enjoyed working with children, what I noticed is that we, we tend to continue to experience our childhood trauma as an adult. And so, um, and that's kind of why I focus so much on adulthood because we, we tend to hold on to those things from childhood and, um, and continue to live life. And so that's why it's my passion. And I, I just want to help, help everybody. <laughs> and you were telling me earlier, you're saying for you identify childhood as age, what to what? Yeah. So, um, we always think of like childhood as like zero from infancy to like we're an adult we're 18 or an adult you can drink at 21 but to me you don't really you don't develop completely until you're like 25 um and and so childhood to me is from zero to 25 so any experience that you have and that's a long period of our life so we could experience a whole lot within that time frame. And that makes that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times people, well, I'll say majority of the time, people do cut off that age range to 18, sometimes even shorter, like mm-hmm. 16 mm-hmm. is when your childhood is quote unquote over with. So technically we are caring, you know, and then we, we're exposed to maybe new traumas at 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And we're not necessarily dealing with them right yeah and you know we're just thinking that it's we're an adult now it's part of our our experience in our life but um but that doesn't take away the moments of being a traumatic experience that we have that we've encountered and so how do we how do these traumas show up they show up in lots of different ways in our um our relationships that we have not just romantic relationships relationships with 
friends, with family members. It shows up in all of those different relationships. It shows up in um, the way that we're coping with things, the way that we're thinking about things and how those thoughts can, um, we're seeing things as just kind of like one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, or we're just kind of um, internalizing lots of our thoughts. So, you know, this person is mad at me, I'm a bad person. There, I am there. If this person is mad at me, therefore I am a bad person. Like mm. it can, it can come out in so many different ways. Um, it's just not just one way. Like I'm just experiencing this with my parents. I'm experiencing this with my relationship. It can come out lots of different ways. So for me, I think it really hit home um, when I got into a romantic relationship at 27, and. To me, I feel like self-awareness really started for me at 27. Like, it wasn't necessarily on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started to be, like, exposed to mindfulness and um, just really who I am as a person, like, trying to figure that out. I think somebody had asked me, like, who are you? And I was just like, that's a really good question. Like, mm-hmm. and not identifying it to what other people perceive me as. Yeah. Um, when I really sat down and started to think, I was like... You know, so I think some of my traumas are like wound up in in my description. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a fear of abandonment, mm-hmm. and that's from my childhood. That's from experiencing um, my older brother, who I was so super close with, um, leave like mm-hmm. abruptly, mm-hmm. and um, not having any contact with him afterwards, and seeing him pop up periodically um, as I grew older. But still, he would pop up, and then that would be it. There would be no contact with him afterwards um even now and in my romantic relationship I saw that fear pop up there Mm -hmm. was this fear because finally like okay this is love like I love this person and that thought of oh this person could leave me like this person could say could change their mind this Mm -hmm. person could like my brother literally one day pack their stuff and be gone Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do if that day came. Yeah. And unfortunately, that day did pop up. hmm And I was not equipped to handle. It, it just, it didn't flourish like a normal breakup. It didn't flourish how it did in the past. And I think maybe because for the first time, I, I did love another individual. Um, but how could, how do we become aware of our traumas um so that we don't end up like me mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to fix everything in the in the aftermath mm-hmm. um being aware of our trauma experiences is kind of like thinking about just our life experiences in general so it's like i could have potentially experienced um and i could have experienced something and i am navigating life differently because of this experience and the way that I'm navigating life is in this way that I don't like so not that I'm navigating life and I'm free and I'm happy it's like I'm navigating life and I am still wrapped up in these moments of Mm -hmm. thinking about my um, experiences or I'm not flourishing in the way that I want to flourish because I'm still wrapped up in the way that I'm I've experienced something in life. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's important to be very aware of not just what we experience in our history, but just how it's 
it's playing its part in our present, how it's currently showing up in our life. And um, when we become aware of those moments, then we get into a space of, okay, now what do I do now that I'm aware <laughs> of these moments? And um, when you become aware of it, then it's getting into that education piece, okay. learning about what you're experiencing, going to a therapist and saying, okay, this is what I know, or this is, I don't know everything, but I want to know everything. Um, help me through this process. I want to change it. I want to change and be this way with my um, in my life. So, is it a result? Like, could people like go and Google? Like, okay, I experienced divorce as a child. I experienced a loved one, um, which in my situation, abruptly leaving, mm-hmm. or I experienced the death of a mom or dad. Like, mm-hmm. so could they go and Google to kind of get like a, uh, uh, I guess like a rough draft of what mm-hmm. they should start exploring before they go to the therapist so you can go to google but you just got to be careful what you find on google because not everything mm. is going to be correct so um if you go to google you want to make sure that the source is an actual appropriate source to be finding information on so because gotcha. sometimes people just write stuff to just be writing stuff and it's all wrong <laughs> That's so, true. so you want to make sure that it's an appropriate source gotcha um, so like psychology today right okay. yeah um or um and there are some there are some blogs out there that have written things about different parts of trauma or different experiences in life but they've written it and the person and i'm dating other people then you might not want to touch on that but, but if you're like okay I'm committing to this person this is the person I'm going to um spend some time with and really I really want to get to know then yeah you can explore that but explore it from a sense of this is my experience can you tell me something more about your experience so that that person can do their own self-check and self-awareness and kind of look and see like this is maybe they are aware of it maybe they're not but um, it's important. And if you have a, um, a partner who is, um, has a really good attachment, um, then you will have someone who will be there to support you through that process. So let's say that, um, I have an anxious, um, attachment style. So wait, let's, so, okay, everybody <laughs> listening. Okay. Cause this is like, this is one of my favorite finds, and I actually found this on Google. So you know, Google. <laughs> well, no, on Psychology Today, I found this um, attachment styles. Mm-hmm. I was completely unaware of what it was. Yeah. You know, I never explored it. Mm-hmm. But once I read it, I had an Oprah aha moment. I was like, "This makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is why yeah. this relationship didn't work out, or this is why this one was perfect, and I ruined it because my attachment style is a mix of secure and anxious." So. Mm-hmm. For all of you listening that don't know, can you briefly, Asia, go through um, the different attachment styles individuals can have? Yeah, so there were actually a lot of different attachment styles out there. So I will try, let me, I'll deal the common ones. So there are um, individuals who have more of a, um, a anxious attachment or a, um, and then there are individuals who have an avoidant attachment um or a insecure attachment or an insecure avoidant attachment oh geez um so that's what it is it gets a little it gets a little complex yeah i didn't so i only i saw i saw secure anxious and avoidant those were the main three Mm -hmm. 
because like I, I eventually got off of psychology today and I just googled it all. So, yeah. but those were the main yeah. three that popped up. Mm-hmm. Someone else, like someone, could also have a dismissive avoidant attachment mm. as well. So, um, but when it comes to these different styles of attachment, it's all based in our experiences from childhood. Mm. And when we, and the research that um, is from attachment is um, there's a whole lot of research that comes from um, experiences in childhood. But, you know, we just grow up and become adults. And we, if we haven't, um, if we weren't aware of these moments or I've always experienced the same type of experiences, experiences from our parents, then how would we know of anything different, of mm-hmm. like an, a secure attachment? Um, and there, yes, there's also individuals who have a secure attachment as well. So, um, so what does, so let, let's just go over those three. What yeah. does a secure attachment look like? What does an avoidant attachment look like and then Mm -hmm. what does an anxious attachment look like so a secure attachment is someone who from their childhood or maybe with their parents um have experienced moments of um connection with them where they're able to be vulnerable even as a child and that vulnerability was met with comfort with care with understanding and um empowerment in some way so kind of like being able to feel and understand and be able to move through that space. So were these parents or uh, guardians, they were just mm-hmm. more aware emotionally of what their child needed? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. What the needs are, what was necessary for um, for them and for that child at that time. Okay. Yeah. Um, someone who um, experienced, let's say, have an avoidance attachment, um, they may have parents who were very dismissive. Mm. to to their needs or dismissive to their feelings mm-hmm. um told them to um or don't really have a close relationship with their with their family or with their the parent or their guardian okay um and so it's easier to be away from from people to to just deal with my own thing because I'm not getting that from my parents my guardian mm-hmm. people um and then the other one, um, anxious, could be the moments that um, these that have been placed on me for that I have. I'm trying. I may have had this experience of being a child and being um, vulnerable in this moment, and um, my parents are or guardian is um, more telling me I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be doing this, and so I'm. Um, or if you do this and you start to feel very guilty and things like that based off of that interaction that you had. And so that pull gets you more of this pull away mm-hmm. or this, I don't know how I'm supposed to, to feel, to feel right. Okay. How am I supposed to respond? Because I shouldn't be this way, but I am this way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so from those three, I mean, and there's different styles and different types within those, within those three, but, um, well, secure is, you know, the secure attachment, but, they all had its place at that time in our life um, based off even from our parents that could also be their experience mm-hmm. that they had so right. they're doing what they know right? and that just kind of and then it just moved into I'm doing what I knew to do so let's say you are you're not casually dating you are mm-hmm. literally dating somebody that you see a future with you're mm-hmm. building there's love there and I know in those scenarios in this day and age we constantly ask 
what's your love language? Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. a very common question. You know, yeah. me and my girlfriends talk about that all the time. Like, I asked him and he said he uh, he likes uh, gifts and he likes acts of service, you mm-hmm. know. So we know, I feel like our culture knows the love languages like the back of our hand. Yeah. But as far as attachment styles, how mm-hmm. how important is that to ask your significant other, um, especially in like maybe the earlier stages? So... Um, it's important in a sense, but it's, it's, I think it's okay to still ask about love languages because mm-hmm. it's still what they think that they need mm-hmm. or it is what they need. Right. Um, but the way that we show that may be very differently. So, so let's say, um, I'm, my love language is, um, acts of service then what does that look what does that acts of service actually look like for my partner because my acts of service could be very different than when my partner says their acts of service right. is right so um so so it's important to have that conversation um and then you want to just be aware so if i so if i have a partner and they are aware of their attachment style and it's anxious and i keep saying anxious probably because i think it's my <laughs> honestly that is I, I took a test and that is mine i'm a mix between secure and anxious mm-hmm. i tested for both mm-hmm. but more so anxious so i'm working on it yeah uh-huh <laughs> and so um so you know your partner may need moments of just um so let's say physical touch even though they're anxious um attachment style and physical touch is what is important to them then even just like a tap on the shoulder or just you know things like that or just like a, a back rub or whatever the case is that you're walking by like those moments are important to them and that secure it gets them to closer to a secure attachment within that relationship okay um so uh, but sometimes people they, are not aware of those moments i wasn't saying what if they're avoidant what if Because it seems like to me avoidant, uh, which is what I've ran into consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still single, but I've dated. Yeah, I've dated. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like I keep running into men who have the avoidant attachment style. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do learn their love languages. And then I try to act upon the love language, which... Um, surprisingly have all been different from mine. Like mm-hmm. mine is quality time. Mm-hmm. So say you get one and it's um, acts of service. So yeah. you try to uphold, you know, what their top love language is, but they're avoidant. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not really going together mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they want to push you away when you want to service them mm-hmm. in really what they need. Yeah. Like how do you manage so, that push and pull because yeah. that really doesn't go together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh it's being it's really being aware of ourselves and being aware of um so let's say i'm i'm with someone who's avoiding and i'm already identified that i'm anxious um and knowing that they're in this space where they need their space they need their space and it's okay that they need their space mm. and we have to be aware that my own anxiety or my anxiousness within that is not connected to my relationship it's connected to my own experience of it so that's good that's that's a moment <laughs> to write down that's a moment to write down that that's really good. yeah yeah so you know because that's so they need if they need their space they need their space it doesn't mean it it doesn't mean that they're going anywhere we have to but be, what if we they have to check present, but what if they present it in a way as if they are going somewhere like they want to 
take a break from the relationship or they can no longer move forward in the relationship Mm -hmm. like is it appropriate to say hey your attachment style is like (laughs) ringing red bells right now or do you just let that person so i mean so when it comes to let's say that that person is saying okay i want a break i want that um maybe that is what they feel that they need and um are we are we as an anxious person attaching to them trying strongly to attach them because they're leaving um or are they actually like what is a break so it's like being aware of our own anxieties that are connected Mm. to it and saying okay well what what does that actually mean what is um what does a break mean are we breaking up and not having any contact or are you mean or, or are you saying that you need like a week off like what right. does this mean I we need to have some clear understanding and communication as to what's going on um is it uh, when we start to internalize it and say oh it's me I did something wrong I need to do this I need to go in more go in more for the kill with someone who has that attachment style it's not going to make it better for them they're just going to push harder push away harder that makes sense and do you and honestly, I feel like that's that's the perfect scenario when mm-hmm. you can just really communicate with the individual and, you know, be vulnerable and transparent. But nine times out of ten, that's not always the scenario, especially mm-hmm. when you're just in that dating phase. Like, you're mm-hmm. not married. So right. um, how would you suggest people kind of overcome, you know, a situation where communication isn't as strong like would you recommend Mm -hmm. them both going to a therapist together or is it just like just let it go (laughs) (laughs) yeah so if it's a committed relationship and this is something that both parties are saying I want this person at the end of the day and I want to continue to work on this relationship then yeah we can go to a counselor we can talk about this we can look in um at our own self-awareness of our own way that we do things and how we communicate with each other um that would be an important part of that and then doing the steps and doing the things together to say okay i know that this is your style and this is how i'm going to um support you in it and i know that this is your style so i'm going to support you in yours um but if we're already like nope i'm not even sure about it Mm. i'm not even i don't even know if that's really what i want then it's really figuring out okay well if it's not really what i want what am i attaching to and then see that's the especially with avoidance i keep i'm getting stuck on them sorry if i'm calling you out um (laughs) i feel like they're they're the ones that are the most apprehensive about the relationship to begin with Mm -hmm. and it's like it's not it's stemming from their childhood Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you're coming in as an empathetic person, mm-hmm. I mean, you just rally up a ton of patience. Mm-hmm. And you really want to help this person because you kind of see that they're in their own way. But it's only so much you can do, mm-hmm. especially, again, in just the dating aspect of it. But you really want to help this person. Like, mm-hmm. you really want to help the avoidant not be avoidant of yeah. really what they ultimately need. They're running away from something they really desire to have, and that's intimacy and love and mm-hmm. a relationship. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, so it's like, so am, so am I doing this from what point, of, what type of relationship am I doing this from? Am I doing this from a romantic standpoint? Because if I'm, if I'm doing that from a romantic standpoint, then I have to be aware that maybe that person is not where they are in their awareness of things. Mm. If they're not aware of it, then they're not going to want to make the changes <laughs> of it. That's true. Um, if they if they're still comfortable in the way that they're doing things, then it, then what what would be the purpose of or a point of changing? If they got to a point where they're like, I I notice in my life all of my intimacy issues or all of my experiences in my relationship are connected to X Y Z or there haven't been I haven't been fulfilled or sufficient in some way then that person is doing that that work inside to figure out, okay, something's not up. But if they're not there, then they're not there, and you can't force someone to be there. That's good. Um, and that actually segues into, is there a way to start paying attention? So as much as you need to be aware of yourself and mm-hmm. what your attachment style is and, you know, how your trauma is, you know, affecting the relationship, how can someone become aware of their partner's triggers? Yeah. Like, so like an avoidant and anxious style, de- they definitely have triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in general, everybody's childhood experiences, someone may have experienced divorce, someone may have experienced the death of a parent. Like, mm-hmm. how do you pay attention to your partner's triggers? Um, pay attention to how they respond to things. So if I res- if I did something a certain way and they responded very strongly to it, mm-hmm. then I'm aware of it, but then I still need to have that conversation with my partner about it. I can't just hold it in my back pocket and think, because then I'm, <laughs> it's all in my head, right? Mm, so, okay. so I still need to have that conversation with my partner and say, you know, I noticed that um, in my own actions, I did this and I it feels like... Um, it turned you off in some way or you responded in some certain way. Can we, uh, you know, like what happened and being, and just being in a space, not arguing, just really just want to talk and just say like, what, I'm just trying to figure out what, what happened. They may be aware of it. They may not be aware of it. And it's so interesting that you say that a lot of times I'm noticing, um, that people will mix arguing and trying to find an understanding. Mm -hmm. Like they'll get the two confused Mm -hmm. and, is it important in that in that instance when you know you're just trying to get an understanding to maybe emphasize repeatedly like, hey, no, we're not arguing. Mm-hmm. We are just here to both understand what's going on so we can move forward. Mm-hmm. So part of it is going to be making sure that both parties are in a space where they're um, calm, happy, okay. <laughs> um, ready, ready and willing to have a conversation okay. because um, if someone becomes defensive in some way, then they're not ready for that conversation or that just may be their style. They just, that's how they know to do things. Um, they're saying, okay, you know, I, I think this is an important part of, um, I feel that this is an important part of our relationship that we need to have a conversation on. Um, I'm and let's say you're working with someone who's avoiding say I am willing to give you the time to say when you're ready to have that conversation That's and good. not 
force it force on it. them to have the conversation. <laughs> the attachment, I mean, not attachment, uh, anxious attachment styles. We definitely are like, no, let's have this conversation now. And figure this out. I don't out care what now. you're doing. You, you get off that video game. Right. You get off that phone. You get- <laughs> stop watching football. Like, this is more important. We need to right. figure this out right now. <laughs> you're shopping. I don't care. We're going to talk about it. That is so true. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah. But no, but also know that um when you're having that conversation to say I'm going to I'm I want to still have this conversation. So it's never that we're never going to have the conversation. It's just that I want to give some space so that you feel comfortable to have it. Just know that there's going to be a time where I'm going to ask again because I don't want it to just drop off the face of the earth. I, I really want us to have a conversation about it. Right. And then I guess in the scenario of it like when both partners are aware okay this is my trauma this is my attachment style you know I'm working on my anxious style you're working on your avoidant is it appropriate to bring in professional help like even if it's you've only been date like is there a time stamp on it like say you've only been dating for six months like Mm-mm. Should you not bring it in the therapist or should you guys both go to couple therapy? Um, I was shaking my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no time. There's, there isn't a time frame if both, if both parties are ready and wanting to do it. Uh, most people think about couples counseling and, and they think about it when there's an issue mm-hmm. and it's bad and you're already out the door halfway, right? So listen, <laughs> you, you know, and I know what you're therapy. I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at because I was just telling a girlfriend, you know, my listeners know I'm not married yet, I'm not in a relationship yet. Y'all will be the first to know. Um <laughs> But I always I always thought, you know, how awesome would it be to go into therapy before there's even an issue? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't found that partner yet. But I'm like, just once we know we're committed, I would just love to just initially start, you mm-hmm. know, learning each other for, for purposes, purposes of a better communication, you know, style and mm-hmm. better understanding of one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's only so much we would both be able to do without mm-hmm. a, a professional yeah. therapist, mm-hmm. you know interceding mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so uh, yeah absolutely you don't have it doesn't it can be six months into to the relationship and you're saying okay i see something within this person and i want to be with this person <laughs> <laughs> and that person and the other the partner is saying yeah i see the same and so let's figure this out and i'm willing and op- willing to do it um it's completely fine to to go and the and the therapist will be there to um they're not, of course, they're not part of your relationship, but right. they're going to help with that communication because <laughs> they don't, they don't want to be part. They don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to be a third party. They just want you to be able to communicate with each other in the way that you feel is appropriate, so that you don't fall into your norms of behavior. Be it anxious, or be it avoidance, or be it secure. You know, I mean, you want to fall into secure. So you just, you just said something that uh, made me think the norms of what you're used to. So because mm-hmm. we we're used to um being a certain attachment style you know we've been that way our from our entire childhood zero mm-hmm. to 25 mm-hmm. that means that we do need to have what i what i think i'm hearing you say is that we do need to have 
awareness to constantly work on not falling back into it every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if if you think about it, your brain remembers everything. Mm. Even though you don't remember it, your brain remembers it. So um, it's it was it had its place. It had its purpose in that point in time in life. So you found your style. You found your way to cope, and you used it because it was good at that time. Right. And so our body knows it's used to it. Just like riding, like you you can uh, ride a bike. You cannot ride it for like ten years and ride it again. Like <laughs> That's it's, true. That's your true. body just remembers, and so it's it's a it's being mindful of just being aware of these moments of like I know it's easy for me to slide right back into being anxious in that way or in, in regards to my att- attachment or I know it's very easy for me to slide back into getting away and just saying I don't want to talk about it. I don't need it I don't you know I don't want no parts of it I don't need to cry I don't need to do this like I it's very easy for us to slide into it so very important to be aware of these moments when we notice our behavior is going a certain way or our thoughts are going a certain way. So it's in it's very interesting because when people associate healing, they think that potentially the trauma's gone, the mm-hmm. the negative um, experience won't affect them anymore because they're healed from it. Mm-hmm. But again, what it sounds like you're saying is it's going to require work. Yes. Yes, like you can't just say like say you've gone to 20 sessions with your therapist and you're great now you're aware and then that's it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. you're, you're healed and right. then you don't put any more work into it that's mm-hmm. not how this works right exactly so how does healing work so it's you might not be experiencing it in the exact same way that you experienced it before. Okay. So you may be healed in that way because I'm not coping the way that I used to, but I'm still experiencing other aspects of my life. So mm. now I'm seeing it in a different way of my life um, or, you know, coming around in a different way in my life. So now I'm working on that piece. And then eventually you heal from that and you and you continue to move forward. And eventually, yes, you get to a space where you feel like, okay, I'm experiencing life the way that I want to experience life. Mm-hmm. And that is when you identify the way that you want to experience life, that's the healing part. That's good. You guys should write that down. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's I think that's a question that we don't necessarily ask. Mm-hmm. How do you want to experience life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what does that really look like? Like... Like, oh, I just want to wake up every morning and feel stupid happy every single day. And, you know, like, okay, so what does that leave? What does that, what does that mean? Right. Like, what does that really mean? So it's like really going through that process and really understanding it. And sometimes we have to do that um, while we're doing it on our own. And we need to do it on our own. But we also may need to see someone, a counselor or a therapist, to kind of help with that process too because maybe I don't know what it looks like or I've never experienced it in life and so but this is so I don't even know how to formulate it but you can have that process or look into other pieces to kind of develop that for yourself this is good this is this is so good that we're gonna have to do a part two (laughs) because we have not even touched on everything yet that kind of formulates into how our traumas are affecting our love life so um, Asia, thank you for yes, thanks for having me. You know, just being open and helping us all, especially all the single folks. But I mean, I'm sure this is stuff that married people can use as well. Absolutely. You just you don't get married and 
and because you've resolved all of your issues <laughs> <laughs> you bring your issues with you so that's true <laughs> um so yeah so we will continue this conversation in a part two um i think we're gonna have to dive a little bit deeper Sounds good to me <laughs> i'm ready to dive i am this was this was so great You've been listening to the Purpose Planner Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe, review, and rate this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram under Purpose Planner. And I cannot wait to have another purposeful conversation with you next week. So here we are in 2019. Um... It has been a few months for me of, like everybody else, I'm pretty sure um, you've experienced something, you've, whether it be, um, you know, something that you considered good or something you considered bad, um, everything we've all experienced in these last couple of months, um, no doubt is going to be a part of our own personal growth, um, our own personal uh, awakening. And me personally, um, I set out to go on a spiritual awakening because I realized that I had so many things to unlearn um, about myself. And I realized that the whole question, who are you, um, I couldn't tie it to, or I no longer wanted to tie it to uh, a business title or being a daughter or being a friend um, or just my name in general, Brittany. Um, and when I realized that I did not want to identify my being with those titles it kind of just spiraled down into like so many other questions that I had um regarding myself and regarding life and um you know through the grace of God I was and and everything in life you know every single step is ordered every single um situation that happens is not by happenstance it's because it's meant to help you whether it feels comfortable in the moment or not um and so I picked up Eckhart Tolle's um book and I started reading um his philosophies on like spiritual awakening and just um unleashing your purpose and walking in your purpose and it really hit me that I had a lot of unlearning to do um, a lot of societal norms um, I'm uncomfortable with now. Like I no longer uh, want to subscribe to societal's way of um, how I'm supposed to live my life as a 28-year-old. Um, the things that I'm supposed to have in place, the the illusion of having it all together when in reality, you know, you're you're in a season of recovery. You're not in a season of um you know everything is glittery glittery and gold. So um I just I took a step back and I started on my journey of spiritual awakening and 
it required unlearning. It required me to also recover. There are so many things I needed to um, just sit down and heal from. Um, not only just the things that happened in 2018, but things that happened in 2016 that just, you know, you push it under the rug because you you got to keep moving. You know, you got to go to work. You got to be a friend. You got to be a daughter. You got to be, you know, if you have a business, a businesswoman, or, you know, if you have a nine to five, you know, you got to show up and, and perform um, efficiently for the team. So, you know, and on top of that, um, you know, it's just this, it's this underlining expectation that you're always supposed to have it together. Um, you know, so you're dating or you're already in a relationship or, you know, you're married and it's like, oh, I don't want to put the burden of my problems or the burden of, you know, I'm, I'm sad today or the burden of, I don't really feel like myself or, you know, I'm confused about some things or I made a mistake, um, on somebody else. And, um, you know, you kind of, you just, I think isolation is good because it allows you to reanalyze the things that you have going on in your life. Um, personally, it allows you to focus on you without any distractions. You literally have the time to, you know, say, Hey, this area in your life is going good because of X, Y, and Z. And then you have this area in your life that's not going good because of X, Y, Z. And these are the things that you need to change. And when you set out to, you know, embark on those changes um, and and at the same time, um, because it's very parallel. So you you embark on these changes and then at the same time you're embracing who you are because it's not... I'm really learning um, and, you know, I'm I'm so very much so open for different interpretations or um, thought conversations about this, how, you know, everybody speaks about, um, you know, changing, like that individual changed and da, 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 da. And I don't think it's that people are changing. I think it's that people are finally becoming who they were always meant to be. They're finally aligning with the pieces, the the puzzle pieces that, you know, may have been broken apart a little bit and now they're putting the pieces together. And it's it's not something that you have to go out and find. It's not something that you have to search for. Everything that you is already a part of you, you just have to awaken to it. And um on this journey of mine, you know, I had a perception of what this awakening was going to be like, you know, I thought it was going to be like running through the field with daisies and the sun beaming um, and, you know, like a, a, a cool breeze and, you know, some birds chirping and spiritual awakening. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> um. It is because number one, you're, you know, you're in isolation. You just have you and, you know, ask yourself, when was the last time that you just had you? And I mean, no phone, no social media, you know, 
no boyfriend, dating partner, girlfriend, you know, friends, family. You actually sat down with just you. No TV, no music, no podcast, no nothing. And you sat in, you know, a lot of people call it meditation, um, um, which I have adopted to that as well. So, you know, you're in meditation, you're silent, silencing out the noise from, you know, the things going on around you and you're centering yourself. And as you center yourself, you start to realize, you know, that situation back from 2016, it has literally like flooded its way into numerous situations in 2017, 2018, and now 2019, because I didn't deal with it. And as you censor yourself and, you know, you that situation, whatever it is, um, pops up, it's like, okay, now I need to take the time to heal from this situation. I need to forgive myself. I need to forgive another individual. I need to forgive, um, you know my mindset at the time. I need to be gentle with myself. I need to um, look at how it's affected other areas of my life so I can be more aware um, the next time it tries to creep up, whatever it is. So, um, you know, we always do examples on this podcast. I'm always transparent. Um, So for me, I would say... um, I'll start here. So losing two family members back to back, then losing someone that I considered a best friend, and then um, just being flooded with disappointment was a very, on top of everything else, um, going into the winter of 2018 was just a lot you know everybody has expectations of expectations based on their own personal experiences so you know you have people that are like okay your grandmother died oh she's in a better place um you know to a degree using certain words as if you'll get over it um not allowing you the proper time or not asking you, do you know your proper time for, for grieving? You know, how can I, um, help you do this process, but, and not putting so much weight on other people, recognizing that within yourself, I didn't know the proper time that I was going to need to grieve. And, you know, as I'm, you know, experiencing this and um, the different emotions of not being connected um, really to myself. I I felt a really huge disconnect with myself as I was grieving. I felt like I I lost a big, huge part of um, my life because, I mean, my grandmother, (laughs) she's my grandmother, and then um so as i'm trying to figure that out i end up losing my aunt and it's like man um 
I didn't even have I didn't even get enough time to grieve my grandmother. Now I have to grieve my aunt. And then um if you've lost someone, you you kind of know your mind kind of flows to well, who's left? And it's like I have one grandparent left. I have you know, like I can't imagine losing like the people that you have left is like you know, your mind goes through these emotions of, I don't want to lose them. And what's going to happen if I lose them? And, you know, it was a very interesting time. And I felt like I had nobody to talk to. Um, and I think that hurt the most. And then we fast forward to... Um, the expectations of being a full-time entrepreneur, which was not my plan. Like my plan was to still, you know, be, you know, working full-time and advertising and then running my business um, as such. And that obviously was not how (laughs) God had it mapped out for me. And so, you know, I'm juggling my emotions of the two losses um add in there the loss of a best friend because again you know in certain situations you do it's always helpful to have somebody there that you can depend on and i thought this individual was going to be a support and they were just completely just cold I don't even know how else to describe it besides being cold. Um, and so I, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of pushed those three things under the rug because there's a business to run. And um, on top of that, I was still kind of dealing with um, my dating life. Someone who I thought at the time was going to be, you know, we were going to get married and have kids and all this grand stuff. Um, Because that's so much of my life last year was lived off of how society and other people around me, um, expectations of other people around me. So the expectation was... Um, and I'm not going to call people out, but the expectation through conversation, well, are you dating anybody else? Well, you should go back and date them. Or, you know, you're at that age where, you know, you should be dating somebody, you know, you want to have six kids. You can't have six kids if you're not dating anybody. Um, then it's, you know, again, you know, with losing someone, it's like, okay, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You know, I'm praying for you. And it's like, <laughs> are you really praying for me? Um, <laughs> and um, it's very interesting. What I, re- what I really, really, really needed looking back during that time of just like, gosh, I didn't realize how much it was a season of loss. And I wish I would have, um, not I wish, I'm going to be gentle with myself. Um, I, I'm grateful that I'm able to identify that season now. 
um, and that I'm in this space now where I can identify the different seasons that I'm embarking in. However, during the time period last year, I did not know. So I'm in this season of loss and it just seems like there is loss like in every direction, loss of loved ones, loss of the guy I considered the love of my life, the loss of a best friend who I thought was going to be around for life, the loss of, um, now we're going to go to the business side, the loss of a huge business deal that was supposed to, I mean, uh, when I say be like the perfect thing, <laughs> like literally that business deal was supposed to just be like, like, you know, a big chocolate cake with <laughs> sprinkles and candles and, you know, everything was in the works for it to be just to set me up perfectly for the winter and, um, that business deal completely just, when I say went left, it went so left. And unfortunately, um, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And um, what I really, really, really needed, or what I really thought I needed, um, was support from people's closest to me. Uh, but (laughs) but during the time it's like Brittany has to be there for them you know like they need I I, I wasn't creating clear boundaries so um you know I'm being there for everybody else and literally I'm drowning and as I'm drowning I'm still trying to you know keep up with my titles because my titles are who I am um, that's what I thought. Um, that's before this whole spiritual awakening. And I hope you all are following. I know this is, this can seem a little deep, but this is like, again, this is my diary episode. Um, and I'll be doing a few of these, but this is my diary episode. Cause I just, um, I've just, I've learned so much and I've grown so much and, um, yeah, so back to the story. So here we are, December. I'm still rolling with the punches. I'm like, okay, you know, my business can't stop just because mentally, emotionally, I'm shut down. Um, or literally, like, it just, there's no other way to describe it but drowning. Like, I was, it literally felt like I was drowning and there was nobody to was almost like nobody cared and so fast forward um I'm well no let's go back (laughs) so because of that season of loss which everybody in life will go through um I'm sure you're listening right now And if it's not your experience, you can think of someone else's experience where it just seemed like they continuously lost something, you know, whether, you know, their house could have burned down or um, they got into a car accident and then they lost their job and then, you know, death in the family and then, you know, loss of health, loss of something. Um, And literally you can categorize it. 
So for me, it was loss of relationships. It was loss of finances. It was loss of um, my business. It was loss of um, the emotional stability facade that I thought I had. Excuse me. It was it was just it was a season of loss. And the beautiful thing about when the season of loss is over is it literally the next season is the season of awakening. And when you when you look at your life and you look at what you value and those things that you value and for me it's love and companionship and um people and uh purpose and empowerment and laughter and when those things have been lost you kind of awaken to this new season of identifying you know what could I have done contrary to what's already happened for the future so that my season of loss is not as catastrophic as the previous season of loss because what I've what I've uh, gathered in life is that this will not be my only season of loss and it actually has not if I look back to younger years I've had seasons of loss it just they weren't as uh stacked as this particular season. <laughs> um, but who's to say the next time this season rolls around, there's not just one thing that I lose that is just, you know, nothing can compare to, say, losing a parent or losing a child. So, um, or losing a spouse so or a sibling. So things like that, you know, those are seasons of loss. And um, I just wanted to prepare myself mentally and um, find a center because through it all, I felt completely off balance. And uh, I'm very much so about balance. And um, so I started to journal more and uh, ask questions in my journal, then be prayerful and then read and then um Eckhart's um philosophies uh, and spiritual teachings were just amazing and then you know listening to other spiritual teachers and um joining a life group at my church and um just doing the things that I always said I was going to do and and for me and never got around to doing it because I was so hyper focused on making sure everyone else around me was okay and not wanting to disappoint everyone else around me so you know I didn't I didn't know how to have boundaries so I didn't have any so it didn't matter if I had something going on I would wiggle my schedule and change my schedule to appease other people and a ton of people (laughs) and I mean a ton took that for granted. Um, but it's not for me to place blame on them. It's my fault because I didn't have boundaries. Um, I put a lot of, um, 
again, I did so much journaling and I realized I put a lot of pressure on the person that I was dating to just be everything that healing was supposed to be. Like I wanted him to heal all of my childhood traumas and heal all the the broken the brokenness that I had um and that that's not that wasn't his job. Like and it's it's amazing how, you know, you don't really realize things until you you step back. And um once I took this step back, I realized how off center I've been for such a long time. Like, my goodness. <laughs> um, my center is healing. My center is empathy. My center is love. My center is compassion. It's who I am. And I had all these healing pieces, but I never... I wasn't awakened to it. You know, I I was my expectations were for the societal norms to happen to me. Um subconsciously, you know, you watch these TV shows, you watch these movies and you know, you scroll on social media and that's literally what you're feeding your soul and that's what your soul gets adapted to because that's what you're consistently being exposed to you're consistently you know being seen uh being exposed to movies where um the guy is the savior or you're consistently scrolling on social media and seeing how literally perfect other people's lives are down to the photo down to you know the the five posts they just posted this month and they're all wins and um you know or you go on your explore page and the algorithm has picked up all of your wants and deepest desires because that's what you uh double tap on when it when it pops up on your screen so your explore page is just all your wants and desires but you're not centered enough to even realize, is this really at my core something that I need? Or is this a want based on what I've been subconsciously feeding my soul? And I had to literally just, there was a day where I just, I sat for a day and I just... You know, I had to forgive myself for being very hard on myself for allowing um, a life that barely had, I I, I didn't have boundaries. I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. Um, And by not having boundaries, I allowed so many people to use my gifts, use my talents, use my niceness. Um for their benefit, whether it was business, relationships, whatever. Um, because I didn't have the boundaries, you know, I got taken advantage of. And it's nobody's fault but my own. However, um, what spiritual awakening and consciousness teaches you is to be gentle with yourself and to forgive yourself and to move on 